Hi, my name's Paul. And my name is Redvers Raid. And you're listening to No Garnish. need 500 health potions and 600 kilograms of mushrooms and this bucket and the fish. Yes, I do. I need all of that. So, Paul, this week we are doing... Video games. Video games. And video game cocktails. Yeah, man. We've been wanting to do this for a long time, haven't we? Yeah, I've been really looking forward to this one. We're just going to kick back and talk about some of our favourite video games. So to all you um, keyboard joystick warriors out there, join us on our top five favourite games. Oh, no Garnish Odyssey. Which is really difficult. Really difficult to It's been to pick. hard, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. We've kind of arbitrarily picked five of our favourite games. Yeah. I mean, when you've been playing like we have computer games for decades, yeah. it's very difficult to pick your top five. It's like saying, what's your top five favourite meals, isn't it? Or something. Do you know what I mean? It sort of depends on what you're feeling like in the time, right? Yeah. And so many games. There's so many games. So many to choose from. And right from the outset, we should say we're not going to do The Last of Us. Because We're not. Well, we've done a whole episode on The, the Last, Last of Us last year. So take that as a given that that's both of our, one of our favourite games. Yeah, I mean, I both say... Both parts of it. I would say actually maybe like Last of Us is my ultimate all-time favourite game ever. I mean, it's in my top five, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's such a phenomenal game. But as you said, we have done a whole episode on it, so there's no point covering it again. Not really. Not really, is there? No. We're going to go into some new territory. So should we start with the cocktails? Yes. So... Both of the cocktails this evening are courtesy of Greg on How to Drink YouTube channel. Oh, thanks, Greg. It's one of the most popular YouTube cocktail channels. He's a gamer and he makes a lot of video game cocktails. Oh, really? So he just drinks a lot and plays video games a lot? Basically, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the first cocktail we've got this evening is made by Greg, inspired by Baldur's Gate 3. Oh, this is my wheelhouse for sure. Which I haven't played yet. Oh, I'm, my God. I'm really looking forward to it. But I know you've played it, so you're going to get to talk about that. Oh my god! And I could wax lyrical about that for hours, but I'll try and no, condense it. Surely not. Me talk for hours about something I love. So this cocktail is called Cholton Fire Swill. Ooh, and it's a kind of tiki style cocktail. God, that sounds almost sexual, doesn't it? The Cholton Fire Swill. Well, who are Cholton's then? I don't know. Oh, okay. Should I know that? You've, I don't know. You've played it. I think he said that it's something to do with some island. Um, Have you been there? Probably. <laughs> it's, it's that big, you just don't even remember. I read somewhere quickly that there's a cult of the cult of Cholt. <laughs> the cult of Cholt. The cult of Cholt. Great. I like that. <laughs> I mean, you know, I could have um, researched for hours on all of this okay. prior to the show, but I haven't, so no. I, I apologise. That's yeah. all right. I, I just I thought you might know it, seeing as you've played the game. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. let's try Cholton Firesville. I haven't tried either of these drinks, so this is my first time trying them as well. 
Ooh, yeah. Fiery, peppery, tiki. Yeah. Oh, the pomegranate seeds is a really nice touch that you've added. I think that you need that visual kind of... It makes it look like little dragon eggs. Or, yeah. It looks a little bit like mind flare eggs, actually. Uh, which Whatever is a, that is. A huge part in Baldur's Gate. So, is it? Yeah, okay. yeah. That's the main driving story in it. So, yeah. This is lovely. Fiery, but it's not too overpowering. It is strong. It is a strong tiki cocktail. This is good. It's good, isn't it? It this is, is good. a good start. I love tiki yeah. drinks as well. So what's in this then? Spirit-wise, you've got one and a half ounces of overproof Jamaican rum. Ooh. You've also got a half ounce of mezcal. Wow. A little bit of smokiness. Yes. Yeah. I can taste that, yeah. And then you've got pog juice. Ooh. And pog juice is equal parts pomegranate, orange and guava juice. Oh, right. That's pog juice. It's called pog juice. Yeah. Is it what? Because it's, it's pomegranate and orange. orange and guava. Yeah. Pog. Pog. Not the things that you like um, played at school no. yeah. to get the little discs. I never got pogs. Well, I never got them either because, and that was like the craze when I was at school, but I just looked at them and I was like, man, everyone's going crazy over little pictures. Do you know what? That's exactly what Greg said. <laughs> Is it? That's exactly what he said when he made this drink. And said, I was just Pogs. like, yeah. everyone's just losing their shit. Yeah, I didn't get it at all. Just fraff. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Marketed to them. It's cardboard. Know. Cardboard, yeah. It's a cardboard. Yeah, I was like, it doesn't do anything. It's not like an action figure. It really it's not does like, nothing. Yeah. Um, other ingredients in the drink, um, three dashes of chocolate bitters, Ooh. some cinnamon syrup. He made it without the lime initially, but then he added a bit of lime at the end. So I've added the lime and it definitely does need the lime. Yeah. Stick with the lime. I think the lime's good because it just kind of gives it that nice refreshing flush at the end. Just to pick it's, it up. It's a bit too heavy without it, I It's think. like a little dragon's tail swapping, isn't it? Yeah. As it flies past, that little... Whoosh. In the yeah. face. Like, yeah. Like that. You, yeah. Like, you like your dragon's tails, don't you? Oh, I love a dragon's tail. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and it's garnished with mint, and then I added some <laughs> you pomegranate said it. seeds. <laughs> you said it in such a sort of way. You gave me a little dirty look. <laughs> you like a dragon's tail, don't you? Like, what do you know? What do you know about what I'd like? <laughs> I know a lot about what you like. <laughs> and I think I just know the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> the as well. dragon's tip. Yeah. The dragon's tail yeah, tip. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah, there's Cholton Fice. Well, Greg, this is an absolute banger, I think. Greg, you've done a great job. Like, I can imagine my character, Redvers Raid, that I created in the in the world, a sorcerer, absolutely loving this drink, getting a fire in his belly. Yeah. This is great. It's definitely one to put fire in your belly. Right, let's get into Baldur's Gate 3. Is this, yes. your, this is your first pick of the evening. This is my first pick. Well, you've sort of landed me into it, haven't you? Because yeah. it was on my list. Me and Josh have just finished playing it. And it is an astounding game. So to give you a brief snapshot, it's based on Dungeons & Dragons lore and rules. And you can create your own character or you can choose from a preset character. And it's 3D graphics, but it's kind of looking from above mainly. It plays out in real time as you're walking around, but when you go into combat, you go into turn-based. What's the aim of the game? The aim of the game is to uncover the story. And when I say about uncovering the story, I mean... We played it through and it's about 100 hours of mm. playthrough. But there are so many twists and turns and people that you meet, decisions that you have to make throughout the game that I really want to play it again. And you can make a whole load of other decisions that will take that story in another different way. But there's lots of other little mini stories within that. 
like like a river you know all these tributaries and and story forks that mean that you know you can close off whole parts of the game just because you've accidentally killed someone or you've said the wrong thing in a dialogue option well that brings me to one of the few things that i know about Baldur's gate yeah so i listen to get played podcast right love it and heather who's one of the hosts on that yeah She's in the middle of a playthrough where very early on, some villagers say, don't open the chest in that room. Right. But she's playing as a thief. Right, And so she thinks, oh, well, fuck it. Of course I'm going to open the chest. Because all there is, there's just an old immobile old lady sitting next to it. Right, right. So she thinks, well, she can't do anything. No one's going to know. Yeah, yeah. So she does open the chest. Yeah. There's nothing remarkable in it. Yeah. But that one act, so she ended up having to kill everyone in the village. Right. And now everyone in the entire game hates her character. Right, right, right. She can't make friends. (laughs) No one trusts her. This one seemingly insignificant act. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing I love about games like this, you know, um, that, you know, how do you play it, you know? And then if you're really into role-playing games, you know, if you're into playing D&D and everything, there's two different ways that you can play it is that, you know, do you play it as yourself or do you play it as your predefined what you think the character is you know are they like evil or are they good or are they you know out for themselves are they a team player you know you can you can negotiate you can barter you can sneak you can use all sorts of magic to get round situations it's really a game where actually hitting things head on with combat isn't necessarily the best thing yeah you have to think about the consequences of your actions. And I think that's the most amazing thing about the game because when you think about the lines of dialogue that had to be written and recorded by all the various actors, if you think every line of dialogue has like at least five options, four or five options, and they lead into other, into like, you know, so you've got five options, that leads to another different set of five options for each of those five options. Then, do you know what I mean? If you look at the mathematics on that, that is like thousands upon thousands of lines of dialogue that have to be written and recorded yeah so why is it in your top five because i'm just going to get straight to the point you can have sex (laughs) with a bear wow not just a bear like me but an actual bear You can you can choose in your top to have five. sex with a natural bear. Wow, I'm, I'm guessing the bear talks and gives consent to having sex. Well, with you. the thing is, not to give too much away, guys, but yeah, Helson is the druid. Helson can turn into different animals, oh. and when he gets when you start romancing him and you get into it, he loses control because he gets all a little bit fired up, turns into right. a bear. Okay. And then and then goes, oh, I'm so sorry. And then you can choose to be like, no, 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 I like that. Bring that bear on. So it's not like Grizzly Man XXX. No. It's, it's something a bit different. It's something a yeah. bit different, but... That was great, Grizzly Man XXX. I've not... What's that? <laughs> <laughs> right. I was like, should I need to put this on my watch list? <laughs> and actually, the sex is quite intimate. It's quite explicit. Josh looked at me when we were in our playthrough, because there's an option where you can romance one of the sort of alien creatures with tentacles. Mm. And... Um, um, Josh declined and then looked over at my screen as I was like, oh, no, I'm fully going into this. <laughs> wow. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, why not? Yeah, so on a more serious note, why it's in my top five is because I really love co-op gaming and you feel like you're in this other world with your partner or with your friend mm. and it's like an experience. 
Do you know mm, what I mean? Yeah. It's like a you feel like you're in a journey. I've not I, I I much prefer playing something like this with someone, especially when they're in the room because you can kind of make the decisions in real time. Yeah. And there's some really hair raising moments where you're trying to work out how to defeat stuff, and and it's real nail biting moments where you're just like, oh my god, like are we going to get through this? Yeah. And I love that. I yeah, love yeah. a game that's challenging like that. Forgive me, I uh, lost the run of myself. Um, sometimes. If blood runs hot enough, it's difficult to tame the beast. You like it? Are you certain it will be untamed, vigorous, and, well, large? So, what's your choice? What's going to be your first choice? Cyberpunk 2077. Oh, really? Released in 2020, in the year of lockdown. Basically, that was my Christmas that I was looking yeah. forward to. Yeah. And then it came out and it was so bug-ridden. It was an absolute disaster, mm. wasn't it? But a couple of months ago, I think it was in October, they yeah. released the final patch that fixed everything. Oh, is that right? Yeah. And so I've been playing it on PlayStation 5 and it's just an absolute joy. Yeah, because you've got a PlayStation 5 now. I have, yeah. Oh my God. I'm 100 hours in. Wow. I mean, I was 50 hours in within a week. God, you're 100 hours in. That was your yeah, holiday, wasn't it? It was. So you're 100 hours in and you it. still haven't finished it? Oh no, I'm I, I'm rinsing it. Do you oh, know what really? I mean? I'm doing every side quest. Yeah. I could have finished the main story ages ago. Yeah. But I like doing all the little side quests and just seeing what turns up. Oh, right. Okay. And I just like being in this city. It's yeah. like the game that I wished existed since I was a child right you yeah. know it's like the city night city is like a cross between judge dreads mega city one yeah. Yeah, yeah. and the the los angeles of blade runner yeah and it looks gorgeous it looks like the um carl urban dread yes you know what I mean? it's very like that and i really yeah. like the aesthetic a bit more colorful that. though it's just really fun to just inhabit that city. And I haven't I haven't had that since like Grand Theft Auto Five, I don't right. think. Yeah, yeah. Just a city that feels real and alive. Yeah. And it's just fun to just wander around and get into mischief. Wow. Yeah, I mean yeah. I've I've got it. Uh, I bought it at Christmas, but I haven't um dived into it yet. I'm so pleased to hear that it's lived up to what it always promised to be. I mean, it, it's better than I thought it was going to be. Is it? To the point where I'm absolutely in love with it. Wow. I, don't, I don't want to ever leave that world. Really? I love it so much. So what would you be yeah. in a cyberpunk future? What would I do with myself? Yeah. I'd run a little bar. You'd run a bar? Yeah. Yeah. Some little dive bar. Yeah. Oh, would you be the guy? You'd be the guy who has the dive bar and then puts the the bounties out and collects the bounties or something. Do you know what I mean? But that's your like side hustle and you've got like explosive drinks. And mantis blades that shoot out of my arms. <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. To do the garnishes for the cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would um, I would have a pirate radio station. That would be mine. Oh, I want a pirate radio station. Yeah. Well, maybe we could do that together in our cyberpunk future. I would want to be a smuggler, man. I want a, yeah, I want, a, I want a whole smuggling team. Do you know what I mean? Well, that sounds good as well. Am I that right that the... you can have sex in cyberpunk? Yeah, you get quite intimate with the yeah. characters. Yeah, yeah. But you don't see genitalia or anything. You see boobs. Can you have gay sex in it? 
Yeah. Because I think like games when they have sex, but you can't have gay sex in it, I find really, really frustrating. And that's something that I love about Baldur's Gate 3 is that, you can you pick know, your penis size on Cyberpunk. Oh, perfect. Yeah, yeah. You can choose not to have a penis or any genitalia. I did that in Conan because you can pick your penis size in Conan and I chose the massive one in it. <laughs> it was so big that it kept on clipping on things when it waddled around. And it was to the point where I was like, Josh, I don't want this giant penis anymore it looks stupid <laughs> just kept on like yeah attaching to things and when when, when the wind hit it it was like <laughs> everywhere blowing the wind yeah yeah that's like, attention to detail isn't it, it wow was, but the f- physics wasn't calibrated right something that weight shouldn't just like at the slightest breeze but all over the place like fucking Johnny Willy in your face do you know what I mean <laughs> Have you seen the Resident Evil uh, mods to have all the characters naked in that? No. <laughs> it's just really funny. Like, like all around. Yeah. So there's like a huge thing of like um, Piers Nivens and um, Chris uh, Redfield being like a gay couple. Yes. And they're yeah. really gay in that. Yeah. Well, aren't yeah. we? You know, they are like a sort of gay couple in that, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. Like the subtext in it. But you can have uh, mods that make them completely naked with erections. And it's just really oh, funny wow. just watching them run around like shooting things just with this like erection. Awkward. <laughs> just, yeah. Like there's nothing more awkward than a man running or walking with an erection. Do you know what I mean? It just looks ridiculous. (laughs) Chris, you make me proud. But of course you are one of my men. Thanks. So, um, for my next game, I'm going to choose XCOM. Okay. XCOM 2 was a few years ago, and XCOM 1 was about 10 years ago. It's a tactical turn-based game uh, where you have a squad and you're fighting aliens. So the storyline is quite sort of uh, standard, I would say. But the reason why it's high on my list is because it's one of the most nail-biting gaming experiences I've ever had in my life. Okay. I've racked up probably about four or five hundred hours on wow, XCOM really? 1 and 2. Really? I've played through it so many times. So is that the game that you've played more than any other game, do you think? The thing with XCOM is I've just really enjoyed replaying it over and over and over again. And it's turn-based, isn't it? I've had a quick go on it once. It was fucking hard. Really hard. Yeah, I barely got through level one. It's very difficult. It was so hard. It's very difficult. Yeah, it's very punishing at the beginning. And in the second one, the thing I loved about it is that you had loads of customization options so that you could customize with like punk hairdos and all this sort of stuff. Fucking love that. Yeah. The customization was really important. I didn't realize it had that aspect. It was a really important aspect because actually customizing your characters is really useful to be able to just remember who's good with who as well. Yeah, yeah. But I create little stories for them, you see. I write okay. little like bios for them when I when they get to a certain level. Because the punishing thing about the game is that when they're dead, they are dead forever. Permadeath. Permadeath, yeah. yeah. And I play it in Iron Man mode where the options that you have, you are stuck with for the rest of the game. Okay. If you mess up, you can't roll back right, yeah. and go to a previous save. Right. You are stuck with it. Yeah. And that is the way I think it should be played but it's very, very punishing. The one experience that really left, and I still remember it, is on the first one, and there's a level called Newfoundland. Mm. And then you get there, and it's a fishing village, and there's all these sharks, kind of, great white sharks, kind of 
strung up and uh, and he's got sharks in there he's got sharks in it well done and then you you're heading through and you're fighting some sporadic aliens as you go through and then you get to a boat which has got a huge whale carcass in it right and the first time i was like what the hell so you're investigating it and mission control saying you know something's weird is happening here so i sent all my units and i position them all in a really good tactical thing getting closer and closer to this whale carcass and then it was like oh my god no no wait and then all these chrysalis alien sort of like Like they've all been what gestating inside this whale carcass yeah and the aliens have been using them i kind of saw that coming well i didn't because i'd never i'd never seen these creatures before do you know what I mean? Well, I'm just figuring there's a big whale carcass there for a reason. Yeah. You know. Well, I was stupid because I put everyone quite close to it thinking I was going to have a big boss battle. Right. Okay. So then right. one pops out and you go, shoot that. Cool. Another one pops out. Shoot that. Oh, fuck. Another one pops out. And then all, in all the shark carcasses you've seen, they all start popping out of that as well. Oh, no. And then mission control's like, oh, my God, you're overrun. Shit. You've got to get your squad back to your ship. Right at the start of the map. Right. And you've got so many turns to do that in because they're going to just carpet bomb the whole area. So if you don't get your troops back there, all of your troops are dying in that mission. So you, you can't stand and fight. You've got to run. You've got to run. Right. So I'm like there going, oh shit, this is my best team. This is all of my apex <laughs> best right. players in this shit. that I took to this mission. Right. And if I don't get them back, the whole game is over for me because... I won't be able to complete the other missions with my rookies. Yeah. You know, these are like my captains and my commandos in this. So I'm like, shit, right, hauling ass until it gets halfway down the map. And I'm just like, shit, they're too quick. Their movement is too fast. Right. I had three members. You've got a six-man squad, three members nearly at the ship, three that were held back. And I knew that they weren't going to be able to make it. So I blew my three people up to save the rest of the team one had to like grenade themselves they had to sacrifice themselves for the good of the team and i was like i got to the end of that and i was like well my my heart was like pumping yeah and i was like wow that was an amazing experience i i i played that like i was in a film and 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 it still sticks into my head as like something that i had lived yeah 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 do you know what i mean yeah no i totally get it i yeah i love that kind of and it's not quite emergent gameplay but something really unexpected yeah and you don't know how it's all going to pan out yeah when i was was thinking about um i was thinking about the games i was thinking about a moment in a game rather than the game itself Mm. that i I kind of wanted to mention because if and it fits into stuff like that yeah um you've played skyrim yes so skyrim is another open world rpg but the one that the beginning that i remember was a quest called a night to remember right does this ring a bell I don't know if I remember it's it. It's like, <laughs> no, yeah, sure. Yeah. So <laughs> it you, rings a bell, yeah. You're in some village or town. Yeah. And you come across some rough looking bloke or he challenges you to a drinking game. Right. And you think, okay, yeah, why not? Because most times that happens in RPGs. It's a very quick interaction and you either lose money or you win a bit of money. Yeah. So I figure, yeah. But what happens is you, you click yes. And then the next thing, the screen just goes black. Right. And the next thing, you wake up, and it's the next morning, and it's very clear some major shit has gone down. Right. But you have no idea what. Right, right. And it starts you on this epic quest to try and work out what the fuck happened last night. Right. 
And if you see this quest through, you get one of the best weapons in the game, which right. is a staff called the Sanguine Rose. Right. Do you not remember? Maybe you didn't ever encounter this. Maybe I didn't. I can't remember. Because it's the only way, you, unless you did that drinking game, you would right. never encounter this. Right. And basically, when you win this staff, this staff conjures a red-skinned armoured demon who will fight for you and just kick the arse of anything you're fighting. Oh, wow. This guy appears, slaughters everything. You just stand there watching him do it. <laughs> it's like such a good weapon. Do you it know, was amazing. That's incredible. And and I played that game and I never did that mission. So right. I must have just missed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I find that amazing when there's games that are so big that you can just have that. Yeah. Unless you've looked yeah, yeah. online to actually find out all of these things or just happened upon them, you can just quite easily miss them the only thing I found with Skyrim is that I ended up just being over encumbered all the time because I'm such a hoarder oh I I have that in cyberpunk and I'm just like do I really need like 500 health potions and 600 like kilograms of like mushrooms and this bucket and a fish yes I do I need all of that I'm I'm totally the same in cyberpunk I have five guns right and 300 outfits (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what on you at all times yeah i just collect every item of clothing because i love dressing up <laughs> right right and i'm like well this gun works fine i don't need to change the gun <laughs> but that hat has to go yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i might want it again later so i'll keep it <laughs> and i realized because it kept saying you're encumbered i'm going yeah. but i've only got five guns oh it's because i've got 20 pairs of trainers <laughs> on a year all time <laughs> 30 cowboy hats <laughs> in different shades and colors <laughs> And then it's all first person, so you can't see him so anyway. I very rarely ever see it, yeah. So a quick one on my second one. Okay. Um, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 2018 action RPG set in an open world ancient Greece. Mix of history and mythology. Socrates is one of your pals in it. <laughs> and I, it's one of those games, one of the games that I've put the most hours into. Because really? I just loved inhabiting that world. Oh, interesting. The map is so big. Islands, cities, every kind of landscape. It was like going back in time in a way and like yeah. imagining what ancient Greece was like. And, yes. you know, seeing what we see now as ruins, yeah. seeing them in their splendor. Wow. And things like um, the statues all being coloured, because yeah. they were. Yeah, but yeah. now we just see them as just pale marble because all the colours were oh, off. Oh, of course, yes. But, yeah, you know, yeah. at the time, all the statues were like brightly coloured. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was just, yeah, it was amazing. And I've seen, I've watched YouTube things of historians talking about, you know, the accuracy of it. Oh, that's interesting. But it wasn't dry. It was really fun. And I played as Cassandra. You can play as a male or female character. I think something I love about the Assassin's Creed series, I I struggled a little bit with the repetition in the gameplay. And I think Ubisoft often fall on that. Yeah, Um, yeah. 
But I think one of the things that I think sets it up really high is just the style stylism of it is amazing. Like the characters look great. Yeah. The costumes that they wear. There's a real lovely fluid motion. Like when you assassinate someone really well, there's such a, a, a satisfaction to being it's so really stealthy. It's really satisfying, yeah. And you get that knife in their head or whatever. Yeah. It comes out your wrist and you're like, oh God, you feel like a badass. It's like a real sort of like power trip. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of games install in people. I think that's why people like gaming. Mm. Is because you get a sort of sense of power that maybe we don't have in in the world that we live in. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And the sense that you can do these extraordinary things that you know we're not allowed to do in our day to day lives, like assassinate people, like assassinate people. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah, that's I think when a game gives you that feeling, then it it sort of has a resonance to it, doesn't it? Yeah. I I chose to play as Cassandra mainly because I watched a video, a little clip of both the male and the female version. I thought the female character was much better acted. Right. And yes. I, it was a really good choice. She was a great... I, I looked her up. Her name is Melisanthi Mahu. She was a phenomenal actress in, in that game. The quality of voice acting is such a big part, I think, in gaming. Yeah, particularly now the animation is of a quality that can match... The expressiveness of the voice yes. as well. Yeah, yeah. Malaka, 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 Malaka. Oh, Malaka, 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 out. Okay, so my next game is going to be Half-Life 1 and 2. I'm liking these because none of the games you're picking I've played. So Half-Life came out in 1998 as a first-person shooter developed by Valve, and it was their flagship game. Hmm. And you know Valve because they've made Steam, and they've got the huge gaming platform Steam now. Yeah, right, yeah. And did Portal. And did Portal. Yeah. And Portal comes from Half-Life. So actually Portal is kind of one of my top favourite games as well. Okay. Definitely one of my top co-op experiences. One of the best Is it like in the same world then? Yes, in the same world. Right, I didn't realise that. Okay. Yeah. Um, And um, the story is set in uh, the present day and you're a scientist called Gordon Freeman and you go into work like any other regular day. And that's what I loved about it, right. is that you go on this kind of crazy monorail from mem- from memory into Black Mesa, the secret government uh, research facility. Yeah. And you say hi to, like, the security guard who has a little chat with you. Right. It's very mundane. You say hi to your colleagues and all that sort of stuff. And then they're starting up the nuclear reactor and they make a portal into another dimension. And everything goes fucking wrong from there on. Right. It's a great horror sci-fi game um, where you're basically trying to meander through this kind of broken facility where everything's going wrong and you've got aliens coming out from all over the place. Right. Yeah, I remember the bit that really stuck stuck out in my mind where I was just like, wow, I'm having so much fun. You know, 15-year-old me is just like playing it on the family computer that we've just got on sort of low graphics because it can't quite reach the high graphics do you know what i mean and um some of the scientists that you meet when you first go in are stuck in an elevator yeah and they're like oh wait and they're trying to like pull each other up and then you're like "Oh, oh and you're trying to work out how to get to them and then the elevator just drops right right and they're all dead 
but then another elevator kind of gets knocked off and then you can climb up through into ducks and basically it's a game where you're constantly climbing through things things are destroying in front of you around you set pieces that are creating new paths for you to go through yes right yeah and that's what i really loved about it yeah and then jump forward to half-life 2 which came out about 10 years later and a, a bit like XCOM. It's now set in a future where the aliens have taken over the world. All right. And you've kind of got this weird, like, Last of Us kind of um, environment, very 1984 sort of oppression of these alien sort of Mm. overlords. Right. And um, you're playing again as Gordon Freeman. And the journey through that game (laughs) was just... I like the mod where you can play as Gordon Ramsay. Gordon... <laughs> we'll just Fuck off you aliens. <laughs> well, hitting Fucking them. waste of space. <laughs> hitting them with frying pans. Yeah. <laughs> like cosmic frying pans. If that mod doesn't exist, someone should make it. <laughs> like, I also like the name Gordon Freeman. It's just like an ordinary name, isn't it? Yeah, like, it is, yeah. Sorry for interrupting. No, that. it's fine. Like <laughs> uh and then the the moment that I had in Half Life Two that just stood out to me is that mm. earlier in the game you meet your friend Alex, um, she has a dog called Dog, and yep. it's like this robot that's kind of made out of like junk parts. I like pets in video games. Yeah, especially like, like robot pet. pets. Yeah. I was like, Dog's sure. cool. I really like Dog. But then Dog ends up like, you think ends up dying or getting, I can't quite remember, but mm. something happens to Dog. And I remember thinking like, oh man, Dog's dead. Because he's like your companion through it and you feel suddenly very alone in the game. Because mm. I find with these mm. sort of types of games, like it's really nice when you have a, a computer companion with you. Yeah. Because it yeah. just makes you feel like you're not so alone in the horror of it all. Because there's some really horrific moments where yeah. these like head crabs like turn people into zombies and right. you end up, it's very, very much like The Last of Us. Like, it's quite scary. Mm. And then as you're approaching the Citadel, there's this sort of amazing set piece of all this action and cars blowing up and you're running away from aliens and you're shooting everything. It's very action-packed. And then Dog just comes out of nowhere and sort of saves you. He's alive. And he's alive. And I was just like, oh, my wow. God, Dog's here. Oh, I've like, I had a genuine emotion of just like, oh, my God, here he are. I've been missing him oh, so much. That's so cool. And... I think that was another moment in a game where I was like, wow, the, the power of story, of immersive story. And what yeah, an yeah. amazing craft to be able to create that emotional reflex in someone when they're playing this game. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and in fact, my remaining games are all about that. Oh, are they? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I think that's the thing about games. It's the humanity, isn't it? Because it's, I, didn't, I had no idea what games you were going to pick. So it's interesting you're picking all story-driven ones. And so am I, actually. I wonder if it's a sort of slightly an age thing or maybe it's a, a personality type. I used to really love playing Call of Duty uh, and Counter-Strike and Street Fighter, those reactive battle games. When I was younger. Yeah, that's true, yeah. But then I got to a point where I realised that they weren't serving me anything, that they were just, I was just chewing them up, really, like fast food. There was no substance in them to keep me interested. And I guess the the kind of AAA story titles like you have now, they didn't exist. I don't have any fun, colourful, bouncy games on my list, do you? No. (laughs) Because they're like popping candy. Like, they're they're fun and I enjoy them. But they don't leave a, like, I really love Mario Kart. I love Street Fighter. I love Mike Mario. That was really fun on the N64. But like a chocolate bar, I eat them up 
and the memory of them is gone. You're not having that same kind of emotional reaction to Mario, no matter how good it is. I remember like um, passing the controller to my gran to play Sonic the Hedgehog when I was a kid. That was hilarious. She just went, oh my God, it's so fast. How do you play this? I've always felt like that about Sonic. (laughs) It's just like, it's it's fucking fast. Slow down. God, chill the fuck out. I mean, I loved, we were talking about like the difference between these kind of games where it's like had an emotional impact and Desert Island games, games where you could just like play over and over and and it being a different thing. Well, that was interesting because, yeah, prior to the show, we were talking about what the content of this would be and yeah you came up with the idea of desert island games the five games that you could only play for the rest of your life on a desert island what would they be and it's a very different list isn't it it's a very different list yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. i think for me like one of those games would be something like a racing game yeah i can play those over and over and over yeah yeah. because they're almost like meditation sometimes. You sort of just switch off and you get into a very reactive state, don't you? Do you know mm. what I mean? And that can be quite pleasurable, actually, just to totally switch off from the world. Because I think the problem with story games is that once you've played the story and you've really enjoyed it, I always need at least a couple of years before I even yeah. think about replaying that game, yeah. if it's been any good. Because you, you just kind of want to leave it there in your mind just to absorb Really, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do apologize for what must seem to you an arbitrary imposition, Dr. Freeman. I trust it will all make sense to you in the course of... Well, I'm really not at liberty to say. In the meantime, this is where I get off. Okay, so we're back with the second cocktail, and the second cocktail ties into one of my games. Oh, yeah. Um, so the cocktail is called the Cosmo Canyon. It's from Final Fantasy VII Remake. Oh, nice. Another one that Greg has reimagined. Tifa, who is a, who's one of the main characters in the game, Yeah. she runs a bar. Right. And it's her signature cocktail. All right. Let's try Greg's version of the Cosmo Canyon. Oh, okay. Whoa, God, that's really better. Is it? It's got Campari Ooh. in it. You always, it hasn't got loads of Campari, but you always have issue with Campari. I find Campari quite cloying. Well, I, I, I am categorically going to say on my first tasting, I did not enjoy that. Most people would say something sweet right about now. I'm sure they would. Ah, uh, but you're a more discerning customer, aren't you? I also find like sometimes the first taste with a very bitter sour cocktail. I always have that kind of gut reaction of just like, wow, what's happening to me? Like, and then it's just like my taste buds need a little bit of uh, easing in. Okay, I'll tell you what's in it. It's got, ah. So it's got two bits. I just had another sip. Sorry. <laughs> okay. ah. Still struggling. Go on, yeah, go on. Say that again from the top. So the bitter ingredients, it's got Amaro Nanino and Campari. Amaro Nanino. Yeah, Amaro Nanino is the, yeah, it's the, it's the Amaro that's also my favourite paper plane cocktail. Oh, okay. Doesn't get used in many cocktails. It's a, I remember talking about it, it's a grappa-based Amaro. Right. It's also got citron vodka, bit of curacao and a bit of simple syrup. It's, it's a... 
sort of slightly more lemony, orangey, Negroni. For what it is, I think it's pretty good. Well, Greg, like, you can't, you know, appease everyone's taste either. And I think, no, like... this won't be to everyone's taste. There's some really nice, um, subtle... Well, not so subtle, but layerings. Like, the citrus and the orange that comes through as an aftertaste is really exciting. And I think that's definitely very, very nice. But I think you've got to really love bitter... And I'm not a big bitter fan. I think if I? you like Negronis, you'd like this. I think I've had... You've made nicer Negronis, I've got to be honest. Your, yeah. your Negroni. Okay. Yeah, because you made that amazing um, the Italian... The Oh my God, that was incredible. That was... It had a much softer yeah. profile. I think if you like really sharp, slicing, assassin-type drinks, then yeah. this is it. Yeah. I think one of the problems I have with it is it reminds me a little bit of um, Sif lemon cleaner that you use in your bathroom. It's got that... Well, the lemon. The lemon, the lemon sort vodka. of... Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like when I clean the shower and you get that sort of like taste in your mouth from the chemicals. I get what you mean. But to be honest, actually, the more I drink it, the more I like it. I think for me, it's a very much a very delicate sipping cocktail. I yeah. think I took too much of a swig on the first taste. You know, Cloud wanted a drink that was hard and bitter. That's what he's got. That is, isn't it? Well done, Tifa. Is that because he's hard and bitter as his character? He is a little bit. He is, isn't he? He softens, but yeah. He always comes across as being very downtrodden and he's like the quiet, stoic, kind of um, moody, brooding hero, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, he's a real pin-up. Do you want to see my animation of him that I made? Yeah, sure. Look at those buns. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so there we go. But yeah, Cloud is like a real pinup in the world of like erotic game art. In terms of men, he's probably one of the most uh used characters in all sorts of erotic kind of um I didn't realise that. Fan art and fan stories. I'd say him, Chris Chris Redfield are probably the two top used game characters for shipping they call it shipping so when you uh make erotic uh stories and artwork of game or fantasy characters they call it shipping wow yeah yeah is i think shipping came from where you cross genres together so you might have like cloud right has a relationship with uh the terminator or something do you know what i mean yeah yeah. you know you cross genres and you throw it all together which is ironic because i thought of all my list this is the most wholesome game oh really you've made it the most sexual just by showing me that clip i I think a lot of the anime games are very sexualized i i'm surprised that you say like it's the most wholesome final fantasy 7 is not sexualized there's only one character tifa and even her by japanese rpg standards yeah you know she just wears a halter top and has bouncy boobs Mm. But she's not a sex. There you go. But she's not a sex object at all. But I. But I'm saying. But she's, the, she is viewed in create. Yeah, in fan stuff, fan art. Yeah, creates her in that way. But I. But yeah. like JRPGs, you know, Japanese RPGs. I think you know they kind of use um, sex um, very strongly in their character development, particularly with women. You know, they they kind of like base it on that, uh, just as the whole genre in itself on the kind of 80s fantasy concept that that we had in the west where 
like you know men would be in big suits of armor but the the woman warrior would always be in a tiny bikini do you know what i mean yeah yeah like, that's not yeah. practical for fighting <laughs> do you know what i mean they but, still follow into that rule but tifa does martial arts so actually it is kind of practical for tifa good good and good. T- tifa is the character let me get into final yes yeah sorry man seven. like i've totally like ruined <laughs> Your Final Fantasy experience? No, not at all, not at all. So Final Fantasy VII, Japanese RPG from 1997, made for PlayStation 1, widely regarded as one of the best games ever made. Is that right? Yeah. Right, And it was a huge game, not just in terms of popularity, but in terms of size, it came on three discs. Right. So the story is that you play as Cloud Strife, who's a mercenary for hire, who gets hired by an eco-terrorist group called Avalanche, who are trying to save the planet from a mega corporation called Shinra. That's it in a nutshell. Oh, is that right? Is that what the story is? That's I never the, knew that. Yeah, that's what the story is. It's a very sort of eco story. Oh, nice. One of my favourite characters is called Cat Sith, and it's a robotic cat. And in fact, it's a robotic fortune-telling cat right. who rides on top of a moogle, which is a kind of fat white flying koala bear. Right, wow. And in the original, I loved Cat Sith. That sounds like one of my cheese dreams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought he was such a cool character because he's a bit kind of snarky and wisecracking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you've got, you got but, Barrett as well, haven't you? The, the Barrett, big black guy with the gun for a hand. He's basically Mr. T with a gun for a hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's really, there's a wide variety of characters. They're all very unique. Is, is Briggs in it as well? Yes, but he's, he's got not... a bandana. Yeah, but he's not a key character. Is he not? And what's interesting about the remake, it's really hard to describe this succinctly, but basically the remake is like they're retelling the story, except as it goes on, this is just through the first part, the characters, particularly Aerith, are aware that they're repeating something they've already lived. Right. So the remake is aware that it's a remake. Oh, weird. And it's fucking mind-blowing. Why do they do that? Because they don't want to just remake the same game. They want to kind of add to it and build on it and make it more elaborate. And it, it works really well. I don't understand. The characters know they're in a remake of a game. Not a game. Of a, of a, uh, of a story. Yeah, that they've lived this life before, almost like they're they're oh. they're reliving a past life, almost. Oh, weird. The key moment for me when I was playing it that first time. But there's a part where Red Thirteen, who's joined your party, and after a bit of a while, there's just one evening where you're all sitting around a campfire. Yeah. And he tells his backstory. Right. And in the original game, it's all done with just text on screen. Right. Little graphics, simply animated, and the music. Yeah. And this beautiful music. Right. And at the end of it, I was in fucking tears. Really? And it was the first time I'd ever cried at a video game. Oh, really? And was just staggered that a game that apparently looked so simple could move me in that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's the interesting thing about um, gaming is that, like, particularly when you look back at it retrospectively... You know, I, I look back at games and I think, God, how could I be so tied into that character? How could I be so tied into that world? When you look back at it and there's such simple, blocky polygons. Mm. Um, but I think the amazing thing that the human brain does, particularly when you get emotionally connected, is that we the brain just fills in all yeah. of the gaps. Yeah, yeah. And it makes it real. And that's what immersion is in games, is when you, when you understand um, and you're... Filling in all the gaps. That's where the immersion comes in. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's really that's really touching, man. What's, so what's Red's story? Why is it so heartbreaking? I don't remember the, the details of it, man. Right. It was just really sad. Was it? Yeah. 
but yeah, no, I can't remember any detail. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, I d- the bit I do remember is that towards the end of the story, the camera kind of pans up into the night sky. Yeah. As he's finishing the story, and then it pulls back down. Yeah. And it's like, oh, and I'm back in the thing. Wow, I was totally lost then. I was totally swept away in that tale. And it's such an epic, wonderful story. Oh, it's. I think I love Final Fantasy VII, like with all my heart. Oh. Do you know what I mean? And all the characters I love with all my heart more than any other video game characters. I just feel connected to them. So when they when I found out they were doing that remake, I was so excited. And I played it, and it was it was like I can't believe. Yeah, it's like literally you've taken the best thing ever and just made it better. Fuck, this is fantastic. I never thought I'd experience it again in that same yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. And I get to. It's incredible. I'm so thrilled by it all. I'm grateful for all the words we've shared, for all the moments and the memories. You've made me more happy than you know. And I'll always cherish what you've given me. But... But whatever happens, you can't fall in love with me. Even if you think you have, it's not real. So my next game, again, RPG, we're on the RPG thread, and it's Bioware's hugely successful series, Mass Effect. And the story is that uh, humans discover these kind of huge gates that were left by um, a previous ancient species in the in the universe and they're called the mass effect technology yeah and it means that you can use these gates to teleport through space Mm -hmm. so i really liked it on that premise and the story is huge it's an epic sci-fi story oh it's huge with like loads of different races and species and aliens and wars that are going on and you've got like you know the geth that were like a, a race of people that got turned into machines and then the reapers which are like this kind of like um alien sort of entity sweeping through the the universe destroying killing everything killing everything in sight and that's basically what you end up at the very end of three games kind of facing right because in the first game you're going up against the geth which are the alien sort of robot people yeah and then you realize why they're attacking you and oh i, I it just it just it gets bigger and bigger and bigger as you play through it does it. yeah yeah so one of the reasons why I loved it, so you can play it as either a male or a female Commander Shepard, who's the main protagonist. Yep. And you can choose a customised, you can make your own character, but the male Shepard was so fucking sexy that I was just like, fuck me, he's one big hunk of a man. Is this the male Shepard you created or just the default The, the one? default one. Really? You're into the default Yeah, Shepherds. yeah. Okay. He's based on a male model, and I remember seeing right. the um, real photo of the model that they chose. Oh, okay. He's got very pronounced features. Yeah, he was like a hunk, man. He was like a jock. Oh, my God. I Yeah, I, I wanted to be right. him. I wanted him inside of me all all sorts of stuff (laughs) for me like there's a huge sexual element to a lot of games like if i fancy the game character i really really enjoy the game i really do and and i'm and you know game 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 designers know that that's why they make sexy game characters don't they but one thing that i loved about bioware is that they weren't afraid and particularly at the time that this came out so if you think mass effect 3 came out around about 2010 i'm thinking i'm Mm. guessing i can't quite remember they brought in the choice that you could have 
uh, same-sex romantic relationships. Which was quite innovative at the time. Massively. In and they game. got so much flack online about it. Game, yeah, people in America and all around the world, Ugh. gamers and right-wing gamers were like, how dare you bring the corruption into our games? You're, cha- you're polluting our kids' minds. And for me, being, you know, a gamer, you know, that's what we're called, gamers. Nice. <laughs> um, you know, the chance to be able to have same-sex relationship, to have that choice in the dialogue o- mm. options was just fundamentally, profoundly amazing for me. It was mm. like, finally, this is the liberation because historically, homosexuality has just never really appeared in games before. It's always yeah. sort of taken out. It's always shunned away from. And in the third one, you could have uh, sex with your uh, companion if it got to that level. And my God, that was the most awkward thing (laughs) to come on because it's just like, oh, my God, 3D models getting naked. Oh, my God. It was just like you kind of choosing it and you're like, oh, oh, actually, this is just a little bit weird now. (laughs) I don't know. There was something just quite... Uh, right. uncanny valley about it i think that's it you're almost okay. like looking at very realistic sex robots <laughs> being intimate i'm with gonna each have other. to watch that because I've, I've never seen that mass effect oh have you I, not I, I didn't get that far in my playthrough yeah you have to really get get towards the end um something that i was really disappointed with when they brought out mass effect andromeda which was like a reboot of the series on a new story arc is that the heterosexual romance options were much more detailed and visually graphic Mm. and the same sex was really shunned away from and i was really disappointed i was like you have fallen to the online criticism yeah yeah you were so brave before. Why have you taken a step back like this? Mm. Um, so with games like Baldur's Gate, you know, who are, who are incredibly on the forefront of LGBT inclusive, inclusivity, you've got trans characters in there. You've got, you can be a trans character as well. You know, uh, gender is much more um, loose, you know, um, and really good uh, female, strong female characters as well, mm-hmm. you know, uh, really good for, female representation as well in gaming you know i think these are the studios that are on the forefront of progression a Mm. bit like with naughty dog and the last of us you know yeah 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 yeah. so that's why mass effect is on my list of experiences they're all all my experiences that i love are very raunchy aren't they i don't know what that says about me you like stories and you like sex with aliens basically i think i do yeah. yeah yeah i think i think if i was like in a sci-fi setting i think i probably would be one of the brave ones to go out and have a little dibble dabble everywhere <laughs> interstellar vd <laughs> oh my god yeah yeah i mean that's that's the sort of thing that you don't really think about isn't it like god you could catch something really bad <laughs> yeah <laughs> really bad you have stage three space harpies jim have you been having sex with the aliens we've discovered? Oh, wow. I'm getting some vibrant colors down there. Damn it, Jim. You've got to notify every alien you slept with in the past five years. Captain's Log, Stardate, I'm not talking to Bones anymore. He's a real buzzkill. So in the next game on my list, Deus Ex Machina, which came out in 1984. Wow, that was the year I was born. Yeah, exactly. For the ZX Spectrum. The ZX Spectrum, wow. Yeah, yeah. Created by this video games pioneer, a guy called Mel Croucher, who looks quite a bit like frank zappa right he made very weird kind of anarchic games right but he he came up with this grand concept basically he wanted to create 
an interactive media experience in 48K. Why? Why? Not, not, that's not 48K in screen resolution. No, 48K in memory, wow. which is capacity of the ZX Spectrum. And that's he did- crazy. That's not even like a image on the internet now. No, I know. Do you know, know what I mean? Like, like a low-res image would be about 300 megabytes. I know. It? And he did it. Basically, he created a soundtrack that was separately recorded, almost like an album, yeah. that you played in sync with the game. Right. He ran out of money to pay for serious musicians, so he did all the music himself. But the soundtrack features Ian Jury of oh, Ian no and the Blockheads. The Blockheads yeah. He plays the fertilizing agent. Right. Um, it features John Pertwee, who's one of the old Doctor Who's. Right. Um, who's the other famous person? Frankie Howard. Oh, Mrs. <laughs> right. He's on it. Wow. And after he'd paid them, he had no money left to pay musicians. Right. And he did the rest himself. Right. Yeah, it was more like a piece of art than a game. And it, and it was massively applauded at the time by all the press. Oh, really? Yeah, it was a massive commercial disaster. Oh, really? Well, because it was just too cerebral. No, the reason it was a massive commercial disaster was... <laughs> I'm actually reading a book about it at the moment. Right. Because it was this, you know, what they thought was this incredible thing that no one had ever done anything like this before, and they hadn't. Yeah. So he made it twice the price of every other game. Oh, shit, but no one bought it. And, yeah, and not only because no one bought it, but when retailers... Like, he relates the story of W.H. Smith saying, the package won't fit on our shelves. Can you repackage it so it'll fit on our shelves? Salesman at the time told the W.H. Smith guy to go and fuck himself. (laughs) Fuck. So W.H. Smith never sold it. Really? Wow. I think the same thing happened with other people, like HMV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, they they were so full of themselves that they'd created this work of genius. Yeah, yeah. That if people didn't like it, they could go fuck themselves. And so no one would sell it. And And they could only sell it mail order order and they broke even but it basically caused the bankruptcy of the company oh that's really sad yeah it's, it's a it's, bit of a tragic story you know i made all my screen printed posters back in the day uh, in sra2 and i like that because it was slightly bigger than everyone else's posters right, right? yeah but it's caused me so many problems over the oh, years right. i've had to make my own portfolios for them to be in for comic cons because everything comes in a2, a2 or right, a1 right. nothing comes in sra2 <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, you can't buy any sleeves. I had to buy A1 sleeves and cut them down. That's really expensive. We live and learn. You live and learn. I mean, I I made a comic once that was, like, oversized, and it was just really big, and it wouldn't go on any shelf, and no one wanted it. I've got a couple like that. It's like, they're very hard to find somewhere home for them yeah yeah yeah. the book is called deus ex machina the greatest game you never played (laughs) right 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 and Um, it it was an amazing game you played it and it was amazing i think the experience was amazing right you know the graphics for the time were amazing yeah the the synchronicity of the soundtrack and the gameplay was amazing but the actual gameplay itself was pretty basic right and, and not not unenjoyable, but not very inspiring or addictive or anything right, like that. Right. It just all worked together. And it was completely fucking bonkers. Do you know Frankie Howard as a kind of 1984-style defect policeman who's chasing you through the belly of this machine that's like your mother that's speaking to you in these cooing, soothing tones, <laughs> while Ian Jury is a sperm. <laughs> 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 
it was fucking nuts. But it, the, the first time I played played it, it absolutely, it was at a friend's house. It yeah. blew my mind. Yeah, yeah. And I sat there like ignoring other people in the room, just just transfixed by it. Yeah. And then afterwards, like, oh my god, you've got to play that. And I think he played about ten minutes. And went, this is shit. <laughs> it wasn't a game for everyone. <laughs> Because we were still living in a world of beeps and, yeah. you know, very crude sounds. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So having a synchronized, like, fully orchestrated soundtrack with yeah. famous people on it. Yeah, yeah. That was years ahead of his yes. time. Yeah, yeah. It was amazing. Last scene of all that ends this strange, eventful history is second childishness and mere oblivion. Without keyboard, without monitor, without power supply. So, my last game yeah. combines with your last game. Because you know what mine is, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. So, I'm going to put into the bag of my top favorite experiences Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, okay. And weirdly enough, the first one I never played. I watched my right. friend play it over okay. a weekend because right. he'd already played it yeah. from start to finish. Oh, really? And I loved it. Just watching it. Just watching it yeah. on the PS1. And I just loved the whole thing of it. It was like watching a really cool cyberpunk James Bond film. Yeah. And it had mad shit in it, like yes, where yeah. Psycho Mantis takes over the control port. And then they break the fourth wall and they're like, snake, snake. Oh, yeah. Like, you need to plug it into control port two. And you had to take it out and yeah, plug it in. Yeah. I remember being like, whoa, that's crazy. And then um, there was like a sort of slightly erotic scene of a snake being bound up, being electrocuted. <laughs> okay. And I was like, with his shirt off. I was yeah. like, um, <laughs> a bit of fetish thrown in there. Yeah. Snake, you know, again, one of the reasons why, you know, is up there. He's a very hot, sexy man. So Metal Gear Solid uh, came out on the PS1 in the 90s and it's basically like a Japanese love letter to American espionage and um, action films of the 80s yeah Uh, kind of mashing in mad like Japanese like East meets West and it follows the story of Snake who actually you find out is like a genetic (laughs) copy the story yeah and like the villain Liquid Snake is his like genetic brother? I've never been able to follow any of the plot of. And Metal, Metal Gear, Gear is like a huge robot. Yeah. And then in the second one, you had Raiden, who was like some sort of twink, some sort of like blonde-haired twink. He was quite hot as well. And then in the third one, which is what I played, Snake Eater. It's it's sort of like his very Cold War. So it's Snake when he's younger, I think. Um, and, uh, it's kind of like him versus the Russians. And you had like Revolver Ocelot. He was like young in that. He's old in the first game. Yeah. And he like has this incredibly camp entrance. So he's like a revolving, like he spins guns around, uh, and he's like really good sharpshooter. Uh, he's like a part of the Ocelots, which are like this kind of like specialist force Russian team. But when he comes in to get his like, ocelot team who are like hiding in the bushes and stuff he goes like camps his head around and goes 
<laughs> like that and then they all kind of jumping down it's there's Metal Gear Solid games are full of weird shit like that they've, they? they've got loads of like weird humour in it and I love that for yeah. it really like off kill to off beat like quite a serious game with this weird shit that's thrown into it I think I played like one and two and then came back with five did you play five I kind of um, I tried to play the newer ones but I loved Snake Eater so much and I had so much fun with that right that I felt like they had lost their way some somewhat in the modern ones. I felt like they had lost yeah, yeah. A, a charm in them. I, put, I didn't like Snake being old either. Right. I, I put a lot of hours into Five. Right. I, I kind of pushed through, like initially finding it difficult and annoying. Yeah. And ended up loving it. Right. But at the beginning, the very beginning of Five, there's one of those character creation right. segments. Right. Where you spend ages creating what you want him to look like yeah and then it's i think almost like as soon as you've done that it goes well we're just giving you your old face back <laughs> you never get to use the face that you've why created. did they do that is that just to fuck with you I, it felt like it it's so cool there's like loads of mad shit in that like one of the things i've <laughs> like is quite iconic with the game is that like in in your inventory a cardboard box and <laughs> I was just thinking of a box. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like creeping around this facility. And if an enemy, like before an enemy sees you, you can get the cardboard box out, jump inside of it. And then they'll be like, huh? Why is there a box here? And sometimes they'll like be like, oh, well, it's just a box. But if it's in a weird place, they'll be like, hey, why is there a box? And a little like <laughs> a sound effect comes up. But then there's also the bit where you can get decals of sexy anime girls right and if you put that on the cardboard box yeah the soldiers will treat it as if it's a real person and start going oh sexy <laughs> <laughs> like i think there's a bit where it's like it's just a mix isn't it of like really serious hardcore yeah. action gaming yeah yeah and utter lunacy yeah yeah and i think there was a bit in the first one where like uh meryl who's like your female sort of pr protagonist who um plays with you she gets like um possessed by psycho mantis who's this kind of like very like bondage strapped kind of fetish kind yes, of villain yeah yeah and i quite like that as a as a kid because if you think you know like i was like you know early teens and stuff and, and i was like wow that's like almost a little bit of homoeroticism there do you know what i mean with psycho mantis actually wanting snake so mm -hmm. i was kind of like wow that for me that was kind of like the first glimpse that i ever had of some sort of homosexual sort of subtext in mm, a game right right i guess when we're talking about our top five like game experiences i think for me it's definitely coming through that these are quite important right Maybe yeah. I'm just a horny bastard. I think that's. <laughs> I think we've established I think that. We've just established that. <laughs> a couple of years <laughs> down the line. Yeah. I'm like, wow, this is like news to me, and everyone <laughs> listening to this is like, Reese, have you not heard the episodes? <laughs> this, this is very, very apparent in everything you talk about. <laughs> <laughs> So your your last game is Death Stranding, man. Oh, and that's again. That's good. Yeah, Hideo Kojima. Yeah. So Hideo Kojima, very much an auteur of the games world, isn't he? He he's, is. He's, yeah. And so Death Stranding came out 2019, actually a few months before COVID, and weirdly, it's set in a post 
cataclysmic America where people are unable to leave their homes and you play the part of a delivery man. Right. Dropping things off to them. You're like a post-apocalyptic postman. You basically are, yeah. Right, like a UPS driver. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, and you never make human contact. Right. You kind of literally kind of talk to holograms of them on their porch. Right. Because they can't even open the front doors Why is to that? their homes. Is there like a virus or something? It's all very complicated. I tried playing Death Stranding and... Um, it's a Marmite game. People love it or hate it. There's no... seems to be no real middle ground. I th- For me, it was uh, a physical impairment because I'd broken my wrists. I couldn't hold the shoulder buttons down for prolonged periods of time on the controller. Yeah. And, and in and the you game, you to. always have to hold the controls down to be yeah. able to balance. So yeah. I, my wrists would just couldn't take it. I was getting RSI really quickly sure. with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's such a shame because it's such a bonkers, lovely game though. It's kind of, there's a weird like, you're carrying like a baby on you at all times as well. What's that all about? At the time, I was able to understand it, but right. I can't retain any of that knowledge. It's so confusing, the story. Yeah. It's a very complicated story. And there's it's- like there's like these ghosts that appear that try and attack you, right? And they're from another dimension or yeah. something? It's all very surreal. It's very surreal. It's very actually. surreal, isn't it? And again, it's got famous people in it. It's got um, Norman Reedus plays your character. Yeah, um, from Walking Dead, isn't it? Yeah, he? Mads Mikkelsen's in it. Leia Sadu's in it. Right. Troy Baker's in it, actually. And Guillermo del Toro's in it as mm. well. Um, There was a good review that I found that kind of summed it up in a way. Russ Frushtick of Polygon, he said that the game felt like two games in one, consisting of a wholly unique open world adventure with asynchronous cooperative multiplayer that allows me to feel like I'm part of a community building a world from scratch and... A long, confusing, deeply strange movie. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that, that's why I loved it. It's kind of that like Hideo Kojima, it. isn't it? That's Hideo Kojima, yeah, isn't yeah. it? And the, and the landscape is very much like, for me, it really reminds me of Scotland. Yeah, it does. It's kind yeah. of like damp and rocky and yeah. there's there's no one around. Yeah. No, nothing around, really. <laughs> is that Scotland, is it? <laughs> but I was playing this during, I mean, one, it was very prescient. Yeah, yeah. So that was very weird yeah, that it came yeah. out just before COVID. Yeah. And I was playing it in lockdown and it was like, this is my daily walk. Oh, and you're man. just walking over rocks and streams and meadows and it was lovely. So I saw on um, a show, TV show this week, they were talking about what were the nice things that we miss about lockdown. Everything. And um, <laughs> I fucking loved it. I mean, being paid by the government. To sit and play computer games yes. was a really lovely thing. That was my favourite thing. Um, I mean, you know, playing The Last of Us, you know, in a virus apocalypse. <laughs> was that virus. what you were playing? Though? Yeah, right. The Last of Us 2. Right. I, I think lockdown had a really profound, weird experience with gaming because we were cut off. We were in our isolation. So this kind of tussle that a lot of gamers, I know I have it, with myself when I'm playing computer games and I'm enjoying the isolation, but then I'm also slightly guilty that I'm yeah. not socially um, interacting enough. Yeah. But in lockdown, it was great because it was like, what else could we do? This is perfect. Like, I'm allowed to do all of this for hours on end, guilt-free. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And and things to Death Stranding as well. So that, that community aspect that he mentioned in that review... While you never see other players, you are inhabiting the same world. Right. So, for example, you'll get to, like, a cliff. You have to somehow work out how I'm going to get over it. And you'll find someone's left 
a rope there for you. Right. And then vice versa, you you might kind of, okay, I'm going to need a ladder to get over this bit. And then you leave the ladder there and then someone else can use it afterwards. Oh, wow. I didn't realise that. Oh, yeah. That was an amazing bit of it. And every time you, and there was bits where you, you actually end up starting to build roads. Right. And if enough of you work on the same bits of roads. So every time I logged in to play, someone had built extra bits on top of the bits that I had built. Oh, interesting. So and so everyone's like... helping each other. Wow. And so there God, was this, is, there was amazing. a sense of connection with other players. Yeah. And, yeah, it, yeah. and I really enjoyed that. That's, that's interesting. That's nice, like a connection with players where you're building something. And that was together. his idea. That was his particular idea of the game that he called it a strand game. Oh, it was like, right. you know, like in the way that he invented stealth gaming before that wasn't even a thing. With yeah. Metal Gear. Yeah, yeah. This is what he believes the future of gaming is going to be. Games uh, like, like connective building where yeah. you're. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And that, that's why people love Minecraft so much, isn't it? Yeah. So I think building in games. And the idea of yeah, building a community, yeah, yeah. of building a world together, I think that's really exciting. And I loved that with Death Stranding. I loved many aspects of it. It was a very spiritual, meditative experience overall. Right. It's just one of those days where you don't want to wake up. Everything is fucked. Everybody sucks. You don't really know why, but you want to justify ripping someone's head off. No human contact. And if you interact, your life is on contract. Your best bet. Hello, how are you doing? How are you both doing? Darling, 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 darling. darling. Very well, thank you. Yes. Darling. Darlings. Oh, fantastic. I've been hearing that you've been talking about digital video games. Is that right? Yeah, what's your favourite game, Princess? Oh, my favourite game, darling. Well, you see... I don't know if you know this, but uh, I was the inspiration behind Tomb Raider, you see. (laughs) I was trying out something, and I thought triangle boobs would be all the rage, so I crafted my boobs into perfectly pointy triangles, and they went, darling princess, that's gorgeous! Oh, we love it! So they made Tomb Raider based on me. I don't have triangle boobs anymore, darling. They're very impractical, I've got to be honest. Okay, darling, are we ready to play the game of Who Wants to Be a Captain? Right, the game is I give the clues, you guess them And you all win adulation points Okay, so The thinking of a game Because you're talking about games And the cocktail is One and a half ounce of dark spiced rum Half an ounce of overproof rum Quarter of an ounce of triple sec Two dashes of Angostura bitters, one ounce of lime juice, half an ounce of pineapple juice, half an ounce of mango juice, two dashes of Tabasco hot sauce, oh. and half an ounce of cinnamon syrup. Garnish with two red chilies, half a lime, and a little bit of a sugar cube. Right. And bug it all together and put it in a glass. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. <laughs> right. And for the Clues, darling, I'm excited. Are you excited? I am, yeah. Okay, darling. Cryptic clue number one. Eating a gigantic apple on top of the world. Don't stop me now before my dreams come crashing down. Cryptic clue number two. A major international sensation. An amazing grace resurrecting from the recession. And cryptic clue number three. This ain't no game of 
Pong, whilst I throw down like an Empire State, Mega Don on the sand dunes. I've got an idea. Ooh. Okay, I think I know. Oh, darling. Keep me, yeah. Ooh. Keep me in suspense till next episode. Oh, keep me in suspense on the tippy toes. Ooh. Right, darlings, if you know what it is, <laughs> send in your answer to No Garnish Pod on Instagram or No Garnish at fastmail.fm on the email yeah and if you don't know what it is send it in anyway just send me love letters darling send me adulation yeah. give me your adulation and get my joystick a pumping nice bye bye so uh listeners last episode was valentine's happy valentine's and the drink was kiss from a rose Oh, really? Baby! Oh, shit. No, I can't believe you got that in a fucking second time. <laughs> Damn you. So, Kiss from the Rose, and that would have led you to the cryptic clues. <laughs> I'm gonna... All right, go on. I can't wait to hear where these go. So, it was. <laughs> So the cocktail was a kiss from a rose. Yeah. But what's the actual answer? <laughs> Seal. No. If you got it right, it was La Vie en Rose by the French singer Edith Piff. What's her name? <laughs> Edith Piaf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's Edith Piff. Yeah. <laughs> what's her name? She's really famous, Edith Piff. <laughs> is that her name? No. What is it? Yeah. Piaf. Hang on, it just makes no What the, I don't suck. So, cocktail, kiss from the rose. I'm already in <laughs> And the song was La Vion, what was it? La Vion something. <laughs> so the cocktail's named after a different song. Yes. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. But, but the real song you were after. <laughs> so, right, all yeah. right. So, but if you got the cryptic clues, which were very obvious, <laughs> number one, when life gives you lemons, ask Valentino, Master Lincoln, and Old Red Damask for the recipe, and you'll be punch drunk from pink lemonade. So, the Valentino is the very elegant dark red rose, which is outstanding in its characteristic. It's often the rose that you think of when you think of roses. Oh, it's called a Valentino rose. A Valentino rose. Right. There's also the Master Lincoln rose, which lots of people think is the definitive rose. And the Old Red Damask, which is also what They're people think They're all names of roses. Yeah. So if you knew your roses, this would have been easy. Well, I was trying to find what's the definitive red rose. And there's, right. it, there's so many different roses. Everyone has the idea of what the definitive was. So they were the top three most famous roses, basically. See, isn't that interesting, listeners? Yes. And when life gives you lemon, well, make pink lemonade, you see, because the song, La Vie en Rose, translates to life seen through rose-coloured glasses or life in rose hues. Its literal meaning is life in pink. Right. So, okay. punch drunk from pink lemonade. Cryptic clue number two. Careful when you tart yourself up, the knave hasn't already stolen their heart and you'll have no regrets. So, Edith... No, <laughs> no regrets. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no regrets. No. Well, That's a good movie, that, that. Whatever that movie was called about her life. 
Oh, was it? Yeah. I haven't seen it. I think it was called Le'Veon Rose. Le'Veon actually. <laughs> <laughs> Edith Piff. Oh, what a singer. So um, that second uh, clue came from the Queen of Hearts. She made some tarts. All on a summer's day, the Knave of Hearts had stole those tarts and took them clean away. The King of Hearts called for the tarts and beat the Knave full score. The Knave of Hearts brought back the tarts and vowed he'd still no more. And it's an old English uh, yeah. rhyme thing. So that was the, the second but, clue. But what's that got to do with Edith Piff? The Queen of Hearts. Well, Edith Piff was the Queen of Hearts. No, the Queen of Hearts in Alice in Wonderland yeah. paints all the roses, doesn't she? Oh my god. All the red roses. Wow, it's so see? cryptic. And then the sec- the third one. <laughs> always put your rose tinted glasses on when flipping through your portfolio. So we've already talked about rose tinted glasses, but when you flip through your portfolio, Grace Jones covered Le Vion Rose in 1977 for her debut album, Portfolio. Her first <laughs> single released on Island Records, having signed with the label. It's so like three, two, one. <laughs> I'm having three to one flashbacks again, and you win a bin. <laughs> you win adulation. You win nothing. You win adulation. You win adulation. That's not nothing, is it? It's, that's something. <laughs> Which you can spend at a later date. <laughs> it's, it's as real as cryptocurrency, isn't it? Basically. Know, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, how does Livion Rose go? I can't remember. Uh, oh, I don't <laughs> that's know. No regrets. No, that's no regrets. How know. does Livion Rose go? La. Do you want to be honest? That's better than a kiss from a rose. I'll have that rather than a kiss from a rose any day. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so quite quite explanatory, I think, uh, that. <laughs> quite explanatory quite explanatory yeah. and of course <laughs> La Vie en Rose is I think the archetypal romance song right that's what you think of Paris <laughs> well, that romance. song that you couldn't remember how it went <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yes, that's the archetypal. I'm not very. I thought I was a deep romantic, but I don't know if I am now. I don't think you are. <laughs> so, uh, listeners, um, if you got that right, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, you are rich beyond your dreams. Um, yeah, thank you very much uh, for listening to our game experiences. Yeah, thank you. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you, yeah, tell us what some of your favourite games are. Yeah, yeah, send them in. We'd love to hear hear about them. If you've got any game-related cocktails, send those in as yeah. well. What uh, have you taken away from this episode? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Not a sausage. Something that I've learned is that you're obsessed with cyberpunk. <laughs> Turns out I am, aren't I? And you're you're obsessed with sex. With... <laughs> I haven't really sex. learned that. I've just, it's just been further established. <laughs> well, thank you so much, everyone, for blowing smoke up our ass for the uh, porn star martini episode. But we had yeah. a, 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 an amazing response of people online on. On Instagram, sending personal messages and leaving comments. It really seemed to have struck a chord with people. I was really surprised by that. Yeah, I was as well. Um, Some people said that uh, it was quite touching hearing Mm. me sort of talk about my experiences growing up with with internet porn and and all of that sort of stuff. I never thought that was touching, but I'm glad I touched you in a way through the 
voice. <laughs> I'm trying yeah. to not make it creepy. <laughs> Well, it's kind of interesting, though, isn't it? Because we really struggled with the concept of what that show was going to be pre-recording it. And Mm. it's interesting that that conversation, that sort of very hard, sort of deep conversation we had about the show prior seemed to have paid off. Yes. Yeah. Which is very gratifying. Yeah, it is great. Yeah. It's lovely when we connect. It is. It makes a huge difference, actually, to think that people are connecting all around the world. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, if you can spend a moment, if you haven't already done, and just give us a nice... Well, you don't have to give us a nice rate, and just give us a rating on whatever platform you're listening to. That's really helpful, and we really appreciate it. It makes a huge um, impact to our reach as well, and getting new listeners. So, yeah, thank you so much for doing that. Okay, so shall we spin the Wheel of Mixed Fortune and see what we're drinking next episode? Yeah, let's do it. Spin that wheel, baby. What? Amaretto sour. Oh, okay. Yeah, do you, boogie nights. Do you like an amaretto sour? I love amaretto. It's one of my favourite uh, spirits. Is it? Yeah, I love it. Sweet and sickly and delicious. Lovely. Yeah, let's do that then. Cool. We're going to Boogie Town then. Yeah. Nice. Cool. And thank you so much for the cocktails. Yeah, and thank Greg on how to drink. Thanks, Greg. Cheers. Cheers. I don't play video games no more. I never play video games except for a little bit of God of War. I never play video games. Maybe once in a while, a little bit of Fallout 4, but that's okay, not right now, I got things to do, cause I don't play video games no more, never play video games, but Red Dead Redemption 2, that is not a game, it's an incredible journey through old American history, fighting for your life and fighting for your family, try to live your days with honor and integrity, that's not a game. That's an adult thing That's not a game at all That's like fucking Shakespeare You know I don't play video games no more Tiny bit of video games I guess I still play fucking video games Why it's in my top five on a more serious Do you love note. the way I'm just going along with the whole having sex with tentacled things and bears? Yeah. Just going along with it. Well, you've played enough video games and been in fantasy worlds enough, right? Yeah, I don't tend to fuck animals in them, though. Do you not? No. Bing.